Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you felt decidedly unprepared, or even if you didn't feel that way, it was revealed that you really were unprepared? Can anybody relate to being in a situation like that? Uh, this is a very small example of something that happened years ago, and it just I thought of it for some reason in the last week and was telling my family about it. There was a certain supermarket I used to work in, in for Choice Books, and they had a, like a cafe area, and I loved their wraps. They made these great custom wraps. So I went and I ordered my wrap. I think I had grabbed chips, and I had gotten drink. And you know they had prepped this thing, and I have to admit, when I order food, um, I'm usually not shy about asking like I'd like this or not that. Titus, I don't know if that bugs you when people order at your counter or not. So I got everything ready, and I was excited about this thing. And I got up to the counter, and I had completely forgotten that this particular store did not accept credit or did not accept ca uh, anything but cash. And I only had a credit card. So I'm standing there in line, happy about my meal, totally unprepared to pay for it. Um, a line of people behind me, and it was a miserable feeling. I know it was very small, but I felt really about this tall when I'm like, you know what, I just ordered all of this food and I'm not prepared to pay for it. Um, the lady was very gracious. She got out her purse, paid cash, and told me to have a good day. So, um, and I don't know if anybody else here has these recurring dreams where you just can't get ready for something. Am I, am I alone in this, like... You're trying to have a meeting, you need to preach, and it doesn't, you know, you're studying to the last minute, and you get up here and you look down and you realize you have no notes, and if they're there, you can't figure it out. I think probably all of us can relate to that, and I think some of it is that internally we just, we have a fear of not being prepared. I think that's a pretty common thing. Um, so the examples that I gave are kind of light and not that serious. Um, but it is, there's also higher stakes situations. So looking back in my life, um, in the last you know, rewinding 10 years, if I'm honest, I came into a situation that was kind of an ongoing situation that hurt me deeply, and I found myself unprepared and unable to forgive. And that has a lot higher consequences than showing up at a counter and not able to pay because you don't have cash. And so today, I wanna, I'd like us just to think about prayer and how prayer is the strength that I need and that it is really, what I'm realizing, it is really how I can be prepared for what's coming. I don't think there's any shortcuts to it, um, but just prayer and time with God is what prepares us um, for, for what's coming. So prayer is many, many things. It's praise, it's listening, it's all of these things, but this morning, I'm just going to zero in on our personal need and what we ask God for, and I'm amazed at how much it overlaps with the devotions and the psalms that we talked about. So prayer is a lot of things, but today we're only focused in on, on what I need um, from the Lord. You're welcome to turn to Mark 14. I'll put the, the text up here. We're not going to read a lot of scripture our challenge, one of the challenge for this morning is that the text is very familiar. So let's listen and just allow God to speak to us. Uh, where we're going to go is I want to look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. So we're going to walk through the story, and this is a part of God's redemption story, and there's a lot of things we could focus on. But I'd like to look at the story through the lens of prayer and the strength that I need and how God meets us in, in my time of need. 
So we're going to start and do the story first and then uh, look at some things of, that this can teach us about prayer. So right before we jump in, God, um, Jesus had instituted the Lord's Supper. He had just revealed that somebody was about to betray him. Judas leaves. And we are going to start reading in verse 26. I'm going to read this fairly quickly and then slow down and look at the story a verse at a time after this section. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same thing. The next verse. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. So they leave the upper room. Um, other, other books of the Bible would tell us that they went to the Mount of Olives um, and they came back to this place called Gethsemane. So you don't need to worry about reading the text here, but here's a, a picture of, the, of what people believe that Jerusalem would have looked like at the time of Christ. So up here you have the Temple Mount. Over here you have Herod's Palace. And then here is where everybody else lived. This is the city of David or the old city. People believe that the upper room would have been somewhere in this area here. So if this can just, just visualize being in here, um, lots of people around, houses really close. So they, they meet in the upper room and then probably left through one of these gates, come down across the valley here and, um, and then head out here. Somewhere up there is the Mount of Olives, but right here is the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is where other, the other Gospels would tell us that Jesus went here a lot with the disciples. They knew where, he was, they, knew where they were headed. Um, it was called the Garden of Gethsemane and, and believed that there would have been a grove of olive trees. So since I don't know what olive trees look like, maybe you all do know more than I do. Here's pictures of olive trees. One of the interesting things that we could, could focus in on, but in this particular garden, there was probably an olive press. And so this is a picture of how they would have made olive oil. So you would put the olives in there, and they would go through this process probably three times to get olive oil out. So Jesus loved to come to this secluded place, but if you think about what he went through here praying, I think there's significance that it is, it's an olive press. He went through tremendous pressure here um, when he came here to pray. So they, that's where he came. He asked the 11 to sit down while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. So he takes his, his three closest friends. He moves on. And then something is different here. So in the upper room, he was looking forward to when I drink this cup again. And now it says that he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And so these words roughly mean it's the same words as when, when they came after Jesus rose and they looked into the tomb. They were that amazed. So that, that describes it. Um, it. Another way of thinking about it is seized with terror. And the New Testament uses three different words to describe depression. And, and this is the strongest of those. So Jesus is he's greatly, he's greatly distressed and troubled. 
So I don't know, what, what do you picture here? Do you think Jesus is telling them? Do you think they're just observing this? How, what do you envision when Jesus leaves the eleven, the four of them go on, and he becomes greatly distressed and troubled? I don't know for sure what all he, he was saying or not saying at this point. In verse 34, though, he does tell them. He said, and he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. So he goes on and he, and he tells them that um, his soul is so weighed down that he feels like he's at the point of death. And you know, when I go through hard times, there's things that make me where my stomach will feel upset. But this is to, far beyond that. This is Jesus so weighed down that he's at the, he's at the point of death. And he tells, he tells the three, stay here and watch. I want you to stay alert. I want you to watch. And he leaves them there um, with that. So Jesus is facing incredible fear and grief. He's facing emotional and spiritual agony that no one else will ever face. And he's very sorrowful even to death. Uh, Luke would, say, would add when he says, remain here and watch, he says, do this that you don't enter into temptation. The next verse. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. So we don't know how far he went. Um, other gospels would say about a stone's throw. So the three disciples could still hear him or see him, probably maybe even still hear him. And he goes on and he falls down on the ground. Um, we know that he kneeled down, but he probably just literally fell on the ground face down as he cried out to God. Have you all, have you prayed like that? Does anybody else know what it, we can pray in all different you know, all different postures, but sometimes walking around is best for me to pray, and there are other times where you're just, you just lay down and you just pray. And Jesus just, it's like the weight of the, well, it's not like, it really was. The weight of the world was on his shoulders, and he fell to the ground, and he prayed. And look what he's asking God. If it's possible, the hour might pass from him. So from day one, when Jesus came, he, he talked about, my hour isn't come. My hour isn't come. And he's finally at this hour. And his prayer is, could this hour pass me by? Is there something else? Can this hour pass from me? Verse 36. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. So he was there praying probably for a long time, but it's summarized in this short, this short little uh, verse here. And I want to just talk a little bit about what is he talking about with the cup? Um, he's saying that if it's possible, take this cup from me. So in the Old Testament, when, when a cup is referenced, it can either be blessing from the Lord or it can be cursing from the Lord. And it's, in this context, it means the wrath of God. And so that's what he's talking about, the wrath of God. Um, ways that the cup of God's anger is described in the, in the Old Testament and other places. It's called a, a cup of God's anger, a chalice of reeling, a cup of horror and desolation. So I think we can't forget when Jesus died, he was taking on our sins, but he was literally facing the righteous wrath of God. Um, the New Testament uses the term propitiation, 
which we don't use a lot, but I love the definition, and it means this, a sacrifice that bears God's wrath and turns it into favor. So a sacrifice that bears God's wrath and turns it into favor. So Jesus is here, and he's looking at the cup, and he's knowing he's one with God. He's never felt guilt. He's never felt shame. He's never been separated from God. And he's about to face the wrath of God. And he's saying, can you take this from me? Is there any other way? <clears throat> and he addresses God as his Abba Father. These are, things, these are terms that Jewish people would not have prayed before Jesus died and rose again. They would have never called God by this, this very familiar, it's almost like saying daddy um, term. He calls him his father. He's entrusting himself into the hands of his personal father. And this is what strikes me in this prayer. He says, all things are possible for you. So reminding himself of who God is and his character. And then he asks directly, take this cup from me, but he surrenders, yet not what I will, but what you will. So Jesus' choice here is to trust the Father's painful will and to put his own will into the Father's hands. And he's saying, yes, I am willing to drink the cup. And one of the things we have to note here is that in order for Jesus to take the price of sin, this had to be a willing sacrifice. He had to choose to do this. And so that's what he's wrestling with here um, and coming back and saying, not what I want, but what you want. Uh, let's keep going. In verse 37, and he comes back and he finds them faithfully watching and praying just like he had asked them. And he, sorry, and he came back and found them sleeping. And he said to Simon Peter, he said to Peter, Simon, why are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. It is amazing to me how out of tune the disciples were here. Jesus is saying he's, he's literally sorrowful to death, and, and they're fast asleep. But I won't be too hard on them because I probably, I may have done the exact same thing. So he comes back and he addresses Peter, and he calls him Simon. So in no other Gospels does, does it record that he talked directly to Peter. And I find this fascinating because Mark likely was Peter's assistant, worked very closely with him. So this is probably Peter recounting the story. So Jesus comes back, and Peter wants us to know, God wants us to know, that Jesus speaks specifically to him and calls him by Simon. And Jesus had changed his name, saying, you're going to be Peter, you're going to be a rock. But in this case, he calls him Simon, that he had tried to live out of his own strength and had failed. So he goes on and he says, watch and pray that you don't enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So sometimes in spite of our best intentions, our flesh is weak to follow through. So Verse 39, and again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. So Christ goes again and just prays the exact same thing and wrestles with God in prayer and comes back, and the exact same thing has happened. They've fallen asleep. And this time they don't know what to say. He's been back and rebuked them once. They're fast asleep again. They don't know what to say. 41, and he came the third time, and he said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. 
The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So Jesus has prayed three times now. He poured his heart out again. It's a mixture of desperation and surrender. This is the very purpose for which he came, but it's also his greatest temptation. And he comes back and he says, it's enough. And we don't know if he's saying that he's prayed enough, that they've slept enough, but it's just this time has come, it's enough, and it's time to go meet, meet his betrayer. Uh, one of the commenta- uh, commentaries I read said this, the struggle of the cross was won at Gethsemane. So here in prayer, God gave Jesus what he needed to go to Calvary. And I find it um, just meaningful that here he is, he's struggling and struggling with, the, with whether to obey or not. And in 42, he's ready to go out and meet his betrayer. He didn't stay hiding in the corner of the garden. They did not track him down. They knew where he was. He stands and he goes towards, he goes towards his betrayer and, and he's ready to go. So thank you for walking through a very familiar story. I want to shift gears a bit and just talk about applying this to my life. What can we learn from prayer in this, in this familiar passage? What do, we learn, um, what do we learn from this? I want to just share four, four very simple truths about prayer that I need to be reminded of um, in this. And the first one is prayer prepares me for what lies ahead. So Jesus came in here and he, he prayed in the garden and we're told in Luke that an angel came and strengthened him. And just the, the transformation um, of Jesus here struggling with this in his humanity, and he's praying and saying, is there any other way? Let, take this cup from me. And we're told in John, right after this, they come to take him. Peter takes out his sword, cuts off an ear. And do you know what Jesus says? Is he's at, either right before or right afterwards. He says, put away the sword, the cup the Father has, shall I not drink it? And he had just said, could you take the cup from me? Jesus gained incredible strength through his time of prayer with the Lord. He goes on, he heals the the ear. He doesn't fight back as he's beaten. He doesn't defend against false accusations. He asks the Father, please forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And his time of prayer was what had prepared him to, to do that. Prayer is needed to fulfill God's purpose in my life. The second thing is prayer helps me avoid temptation. And this comes out in a very clear way in the story. The reason that Jesus had told the disciples to watch and pray, I think he wanted them to watch and pray on his behalf, but he says again and again for their, on their behalf, pray that you don't enter into temptation. Praying now may determine my response to future temptation. So my prayers now may determine my future response to temptation. God tells us in the Lord's Prayer that we are to pray, lead us not into temptation. So one of the things that I had to think about in in studying for this is how often do I pray specifically for the areas of temptation that I'm prone to? What temptations I may face this week? Um, Do I spend time asking God to strengthen me if I'm worried about money? Maybe I need patience for the situation that I'm in. Maybe I'm dealing with hurt. Maybe I'm dealing with doubt. But I believe that God wants us to bring 
our temptation to him. And yes, we pray to him in the moment of temptation, but I think often we actually pray before we're tempted. So spending time with Christ will cause me to gain strength for temptation. The third truth is that prayer pours my heart out to God for him to work. Is there something that's just striking about Jesus being fully God and fully man and just literally pouring out his fears, his sorrow, his feelings to the Lord in a way that he's not holding anything back? He's telling the Lord he feels weak. If we're going to pray and pour our our heart out to God, it has to be honest. It has to be real. Jesus doesn't just stoically go through this. He has a full range of emotions as he processes this. Luke tells us he was struggling so bad that his sweat became like drops of blood. And Jesus just poured out his whole heart to God. Hebrews tells us about Jesus. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. I hope that you're not here this morning thinking that loud cries, tears, and just gut-level honesty is somehow not reverent to the Lord. It's actually the, one of the ways that we can reverence and fear him is when we just tell him everything that's there. And we do that before the Lord. Um, that is a way to reverence, um, to reverence him. As a little bit of an aside, and I know that this, please hear this with the right heart. Do you ever notice that sometimes we, and I mean me, that we can develop kind of a prayer voice? There's like how we regularly talk, and then there's our prayer voice. I don't think we need to do that. I think it's fine to show God reverence, but I think our prayer voice can and should be our regular voice. And if we're not careful, we can develop prayer vocabulary. I, say my, I find myself saying things in prayer that's just not the way I talk anywhere else. So I just want to encourage us that prayer is pouring our heart out to God. Yes, we are reverent of him. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. But it's just honest. It's just the way we talk. And it's not hiding anything from him that we can pour, pour our heart out to God and be real and to be transparent. The last thing that we see very clearly in this passage is that prayer aligns my will with God's. And I will say that this only happens if I'm honest with God. Prayer can align my will with God. You know, think about what Jesus prayed. He literally, he's asking God, could you take this cup from me? Could this hour pass me by? He's, it's okay for us to express what we want to the Lord. And in this, Jesus did it with an open hand. And his will and the Father's will were one. And I think that we are invited to do the same, to ask God exactly what we want. Do you think it's okay to wrestle with the Lord in prayer? Is anybody else encouraged that Jesus went He prayed the exact same thing three times. And Jesus actually uses a parable for for this of the the unjust judge and the persistent widow. And his whole point is 
keep praying. I want you to be persistent in prayer and to not lose heart and give up. So when we're praying and when we're wrestling with God, it's not, we're not trying to twist God's arm. We're telling God what we need. And in the end, we're trusting that God will change us and our wills will align with his. And somehow there is a mystery that God responds to us in prayer and, and answers prayer. But prayer does align my will with God. The last thing we see Jesus do is surrender to God. Um, I think it was D.L. Moody. I'm sorry if I miss, am I misquoting him. I think this is where I got it, but I couldn't find out for sure. Um, he said, when praying, the paramount issue is our surrender to God. So we're pouring our heart out to God. We're telling him what we want, but we are doing this in, in terms of surrendering to him. So over the last little bit, I'd read the book God Smuggler with Caden Ashton and loved the book, highly recommend it. it is, it's an excellent read. What stood out to me was uh, early on in Brother Andrew, it's the story of Brother Andrew. And early on in Brother Andrew's life, he is, he's already become a believer and he's, he's working at a job. He's kind of went to missionary school. He doesn't know what to do. And he keeps praying and praying and, and feeling like he's not getting an answer. And one Sunday afternoon, he, just, he goes out and sits by a canal and prays for hours. And just want to describe what he feels like was the key and pivotal moment in his life. He says, what is it, Lord? What am I holding back? What am I using as an excuse for not serving you in whatever you want me to do? And then there by the canal, I finally had my answer. My yes to God had always been a yes, but. Yes, but I'm not educated. Yes, but I'm lame. With the next breath, I did say yes. I said it in a brand new way without qualification. I'll go, Lord. I said no matter whether it's through the route of ordination or whether through the WEC program, which was the ministry program, or whether through working on at Ringers, which was his factory job. Whenever, wherever, however you want me, I'll go. And I will begin this very minute, Lord, as I stand up from this place and as I take my first step forward, will you consider that this is a step towards complete obedience to you? I'll call it the step of yes. And he goes on to describe how that, that defined his life of saying, yes, Lord, without qualification, and then how God answered prayer in his life again and again. So as I pray with that attitude, it will align my heart with God's. One of the things that I want to point out here, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on this today, we may come back to this in another, another Sunday, but Jesus' prayer just really grabbed me, and I think that it, it can and is a model of how we pray when we are in need and struggling with, uh, just we're just struggling deeply and we need strength. So I'll just quickly point out a couple of things. He says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. So when I'm struggling, I think it's very important for me to start by remembering who I am in Christ. So he's, he's saying, Abba, Daddy, Father, remembering who I am in Christ. Then he goes on, and for some reason, this is the phrase that has just grabbed me. He tells the Lord, all things are possible for you. So just reminding himself of who God is, his character, his attributes, and I really think that this statement, all things are possible, is what allowed him to surrender his will. 
Because what we believe about God and his character and his care will determine how we, how we respond to him. And then Jesus is gut-level honest. Take this cup from me. And then in the end, he surrenders. Um, and I do think that when we're struggling with things, there is, a lot, there is a lot of spiritual warfare that happens around this. That prayer becomes a battle centered around God's care and God's goodness, God's power to do anything, and then whether I'm willing to surrender to the Lord. The last thing I want to talk about is what's at stake. What is the result of prayerlessness? And in studying for this, I, just, I want to say that I'm very convicted by this, that too often I can identify more with the disciples than with the Lord, that it's easy to go through the day without praying or without praying much or, or falling asleep. And I just want to look back at what is at stake through, through prayerlessness. So take Peter. He says, look, everybody, if everybody else fails, I'm not going to. And even if I have to die, I'm not going to deny you. And Mark tells us that he kept insisting on this. Jesus told him, no, you're, you're not. You're actually going to deny me. And Peter will not take this answer. He's, he's insisting, look, this is, this is not true. I'm going to stick with you. I'm going to stick with you. I'm going to stick with you. And he doesn't pray. So finally, when he wakes up and the soldiers and everybody comes, in his helpfulness, he grabs his sword, completely aligned with the Lord at this point, right? He's completely out of step. Tries to kill a person, takes off his ear, and Jesus rebukes him, heals the person, and uh, at that point, Peter and everybody flees in in a drastic hurry. Later on that night, Peter, when asked if he knows Jesus, said, I don't know him and I don't know what you're talking about. He's asked again, and he's like, I don't, I don't even know this guy. And finally, by the third time, it, the Bible tells us that he is cursing and he is swearing that he does not know Jesus. And this is the same guy that we're only talking about, I don't know, three to five hours here. And I think what the story shows for me is that the, my commitments and my intentions and my strengths are never strong enough to keep me in a time of temptation. It is actually the power of God that holds us, that keeps us, and the way that, that, the way that we receive that power is through the Holy Spirit, but it comes about through prayer and through a time of prayer ahead of time. So when I look at the result of the disciples not praying, and I look at my life, prayer has, prayerlessness has real consequences. And it's something that I want to grow in of of honest prayer with the Lord um, ahead of my need. I don't think it's an accident that Peter writes in 1 Peter 4.7. He says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. So uh, Peter, looking back after he's a disciple and and writing this, that's his admonition. to stay sober and, and sound judgment for the purpose of prayer. All right, I want to close with prayer, and then I'd ask Darren if he would lead us um, in Oh How Marvelous. It talks about Christ in the garden. Um, so let's stand together, have a word of prayer, and then Darren, if you would lead us in, in that song.
Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for who you are. God, I want to thank you for your power and for your love. God, thank you for uh, surrendering, for facing the wrath of sin on our behalf. God, thank you that you rose again and you're King of kings and Lord of lords. And God, uh, today, um, we all desperately need you. And God, you invite us to, to receive what we need, the strength that we need through prayer is one avenue that you give that to us. Um, God, forgive us for prayerlessness. Forgive me for prayerlessness. God, I pray that you would grow, um, just grow in our hearts a desire for prayer and, and a dependence on you in prayer. God, thank you for your word and your promises that you will strengthen us as we seek you. And uh, God, would you protect us and watch over us this week. Give us what we need to walk faithfully with you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.